0: You're listening to the New Century Multiverse, Secret Rooms, Definitive Edition. Chapter 10, The Desolate Cave.
1: From the Journal of Sergeant Frank Butler, Elkview, West Virginia, October 12th, 1882. The tavern on Rose Hill was, as I thought, a gutted shell, with nothing of salvageable value. I took James inside to investigate along with the reconstruction team. He paced the rooms, piecing together what had happened. That sharpness in his eyes had returned with a vengeance, and his manner of speech had become rapid and clinical.
0: Six beds. Group of eleven. No, twelve. Attacked. Ground floor windows shuttered and bolted. save for one. Smashed inwards. Remaining glass has unusual handprint. Dried blood amongst glass. Bullets embedded in walls, fired across rooms. No impacts in opposing walls. Targets unarmed, moving at speed. Cellars emptied of supplies. Raider activity after the fact. Raiders did not occupy the property. Most likely due to lack of defensibility. Failure to adapt to new threat. Clung to old lifestyle.
1: That's been one of the biggest killers we've encountered.
0: But where did they go? No carcasses, no bones. Disposed of by raiders? No. Blood trails, drag marks. Front door, off its hinges. These people were forcibly removed immediately after they died. Possibly even before that. As were any creatures they had felled. This I have not encountered.
1: I'm sorry to say that I have. Weirwood was able to fight off the Wendigo. Other folks lost that fight. When that happens, they take you.
0: Of course. Safety, seclusion, privacy to feed. There is a nest nearby. Oh, my giddy aunt.
1: Seems like it. You ready for some hunting? Wait. What you got?
0: In the corner, here. a dress. Torn. Little bloodied. Not enough for there to have been a fatal wounding.
1: You know, we don't need to look at everything.
0: Wardrobe open. Door scratched. Woman's clothing inside. Crumpled. Bloodied. Hiding place. One person. Bleeding. Scratches on the inside of the door. Woman bitten. Remained hidden. Several hours. Changed. Tore this dress off herself. Did not stay here to make a nest. Frank, given what you know of this species' behavior, is it likely she joined her to attack us?
1: She may well have. Come on, James, we'll go find that nest. Uh, yes, of course. Don't be too afraid now. My team will watch you back. This is the best way to learn.
0: I'm not afraid. I find them... You're right. The Wendigos must be eliminated.
1: Well, all right now. Around the back of the inn, we pushed through the long grass of the untended and overgrown yard and approached the forest. I had seven soldiers with me besides James and our scout. Laughing Fox went on ahead, his eyes scanning the ground. He reported that the tracks he found were old and that we could follow them, but the creatures who had made them hadn't visited this place for some time. Nonetheless, as we picked our way through the trees, my ears were twitching at every snapped twig. I was listening outside our group as we walked, trying to separate the noises from near and far, as Fox had been teaching me. We proceeded deeper into the forest, and by the time we crossed our point of no return, when a fight would likely be less disastrous than an attempted escape, we had passed into a close-knit formation, all rifles pointed outwards as we moved. Fox was following his nose, and eventually we caught wind of what he had sniffed out before us. A decay was in the air. Not rotted meat, but a point far beyond that. It grew stronger until we stood at the crest of a steep incline, which led down to a hollow. The air was stiflingly heavy, and my head was beginning to swim. Rather than sending a single man down under cover and fire, I led the entire group around, and we descended towards the mouth of this nest. Bones were piled up off to one side. Since we know of no animal that keeps the house in such gruesome order, this could not be any other creatures than our wendigos. We regarded the darkened aperture, inclining our heads to make out movement or sound. None met our senses, and there was no easier, safe way to enter the cave, so we attempted to smoke the occupants out. Reigns, one of the soldiers, used his flint and tinder to light a large pile of leaves. All rifles were trained on the darkness beyond, Rains retreated, and tendrils of smoke began to curl up inside the cave. No sound. No movement. We waited. Ten minutes went by and nothing. The leaves burnt out and the ashes blew away. Fox drew out his fighting stick. He was well acquainted with the story of Azkook, and, as I recall, had chastised the poor fellow posthumously upon hearing Sadler's story for bringing the wrong tool to the fight. As opposed to a sharpened blade that would release a lethally infectious blood spray, his weapon was two curved feet of hard, solid wood with a ball at the end. He stealthily crept forward for a better view and gazed into the tunnel. Then, to my horror, disappeared inside. We waited. I motioned three men to approach with me, unhooking our clementines as we went. A shape appeared from the shadows. It was Fox. He waved us in, and we heaved a sigh of relief. Inside the cave, the air was rank, and we were doubly glad of the scarves we had already been using. I could make out in the torchlight the decrepit remains of what were clearly some long-dead wendigos. James crouched beside them, scanning the bodies. They were emaciated and stick-thin, their mouths open, gasping for a final breath. There were seven in total, but James gave a start when he found one propped in a corner. Tresses of blonde hair still attached to her head. James's eyes had fallen on what the female was holding to her.
0: A child. She had a child. Look at its proportions. This is not a human. They can bleed.
1: Yes, they can.
0: Why was this nowhere to be found in the handbook? This changes
1: everything. James, this isn't a- They starved
0: to death, yes? But your book states clearly that they become ravening beasts in this state, that with no other food source they will eat one another in a frenzied bid for survival. Yet, here you can clearly see that given no other choice, they did not.
1: All right, fellas, clear out of here. Frank, Sergeant Butler, wait. You
0: knew about this already. Why hasn't this kind of situation been recorded?
1: It has been recorded. The part about them becoming all the more fierce when they're starving is accurate. And I've seen them feed on one another with my own two eyes. The book didn't lie. This is a complex situation, and we need to deliver people simple facts. They don't choose to include information like this because it confuses people. Washington doesn't want anyone to think about them a whole lot.
0: Well, I've been doing some nonetheless. This is a developed, maybe even a developing species. Can you see the living arrangements they have here? Social groups, families, your book focuses on wiping them out like vermin.
1: Well, what would you do?
0: If wiping them out is what is required for the human race's survival, then so be it. But we need to be in possession of the facts. Withholding something like this makes the cartographer's handbook less of an authentic historical document and more like... Propaganda. I agree. Then what was that you were saying about the truth will act?
1: (sighs) I believe they're hoping most people won't care too much. And by the time these questions start being asked in earnest, the Wendigo will be gone from this planet. They've nearly killed us all, James. These creatures are why that poor little lady isn't still wearing her pretty dress and playing in the garden with a human child. Look, we have to pull out of here. The threat is gone. We can rebuild the tavern. People will live there again. What you're feeling now is what nearly everyone goes through. You've left one life behind and picked up another, and it's scary as all hell. How about we bury these ones here? Trust me, James. It helps.
0: Very well. If that is the done thing.
1: James was silent for the rest of our time, giving only short, polite responses when necessary. I let him stew. I've seen far too many people break open when you push them on something like this. He hung around the cave a little longer and made some notes in his journal. And eventually, we rejoined the forest trail back to Rose Hill.
2: From the Journal of Captain Annie Oakley, Elkview, West Virginia, October twelfth, 1882. I spent the day detailing the maps and information Butler and I had accrued during our excursion and conveying it down the wire. I marked Weirwood as a prime example of an outpost and suggested they be consulted in terms of managing and resettling the emptied surrounding towns, even possibly warranting a telegraph point. It's remarkable that they held out for so long without support or trade. That's the kind of story we want telling especially their sober acceptance of reunification. I really do want to see their story in the second edition. Hearts and minds, Mr. Arlington. Hearts and minds. Abigail came to see me, cap in hand, not one hour ago. It's strange. When she's calm, I can see mannerisms of speech and gesture and familiar aspects of Catherine Holloway in there. She must have been like a mother to this one. And her influence is definitely there. To a point. While Holloway burned with a cold, controlled fire. This one is
3: flaming hot. Hello, Captain Oakley. Abigail. I have an official request here for my transfer to the Southern Procession of the Twelfth Company, starting at 8 a.m. tomorrow morning. I plan to break away from the group after a number of miles. There's been no reconnaissance yet of the area around the New River, south of Fayetteville, and my familiarity with the area puts me in an advantageous position to guide a small team around the terrain and then return to this camp thereafter, having gained accurate and up-to-date recordings of the habitations there... You
2: want to see your hometown?
3: ...in. Yes, ma'am. That may indeed be part of it, but considering my limited supply geographical knowledge, I can be of best use there, and I can recommend you
2: utilize these ear memories while there are... Still fresh? You already know we can't be going off whenever and wherever we please, Abigail. It ain't
3: about pleasing me, Captain. This here is about being sure either way whether the town of my birth is of strategic use to the reunified states. In doing so, I will also be squaring away any remaining affairs of my past to thus make me a better fighting and negotiating machine for the military. Mm. And while my orders may set me to patrol in uncharted areas that Washington has indeed put on our schedule... Or tending to leafy vegetables... It is more advantageous to the unit if that time is spent establishing a possibly very useful outpost.
2: Clearwater, right?
3: Yes. Do you recall the rough population? 147, and all of them were rough. You grew food there? We grew apples, tobacco, and hay, all of which I know we need. You a big tobacco chewer? Everybody's got a hungry horse. Ain't that the truth. Your
2: mama make you apple pie?
3: Best in town did yours. Not once. You let me go and I'll bring you back one, provided she's still among the living.
2: All right. Deal. Really? For a pie? Yeah. You make a good enough case for yourself, and we're short on hours. I don't have time to let you grow humble when they're moving out tomorrow. I got one condition, though. Name it. I'm coming with you. You must really want that pie. It's not about the pie. That just sweetened the deal. It was you talking about bringing me one back that turned my mind to how you'd handle things as a cartographer. You want control. You wanted it during the firefight, and you tried to take it. I want to see what happens when somebody gives it to you freely. So, once we're there, you're in charge. What? You heard me. I'm throwing you in the deep water.
1: I hope I'm not disturbing anything.
2: I don't know what to say. Say good night, Captain. Thank
3: you, and take your leave. Thank you, Captain.
2: Good night.
1: What was that about?
2: We're going out with the twelfth tomorrow morning to see if her hometown is still there. I see. I know it's against the rules, but she was pretty good with the back and forth negotiations. I want to cultivate that in her. Lord knows she needs it. Otherwise, I don't even know if being a soldier would be right for her. She's so angry. It it gets in the way of her right thinking. I guess if she could put that in the ground, she might actually be a pretty good cartographer. Can you come with us? Maybe bring Penrose along?
1: (sighs) can't, my darling. Headed back to Washington tomorrow.
2: Really? Now?
1: These just came through 20 minutes ago.
2: To train new recruits. God damn it!
1: Just send Abigail off like you said you were going to. You don't have to go with her.
2: I gave my word to Catherine Holloway that I would watch them both.
1: (laughs) And are you going to be there for every moment of their professional military careers?
2: No, of course not. I just have to make sure that they're fully on their feet and they have enough experience to survive in the field. I can't give up after two days.
1: Well, then, just stick with them for a little while. Then, when they fit your exacting standards, you can request a transfer to Washington and we'll be back together.
2: I don't like leaving you. I made some pretty solemn vows there, too.
1: But I can take care of myself.
2: Hush up. We've got one more night. I don't want to spend it talking about other people. Mm.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you have been listening to episode 10 of secret rooms the desolate cave written and directed by alexander shaw annie oakley performed by loretta sailor james penrose performed by alex shaw frank butler performed by spencer lieb and abigail gray performed by sharon shaw Long Note 2 and Ossuary composed and performed by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com Make Your Decision by Dan Phillipson of Shockwave Sound Many Soundscapes by Tabletop Audio Our $15 patrons get sponsor credit every episode, so thank you too. Joel Robinson Benjamin Biddle, Abel Savard, Michael Hasko Angus Lee, Marty Hui, David Sheely Kevin Weahe Daniel Salguero, Connor Kennedy, Brian Novak, Evan Jankowski, Sarah Montgomery, Dan Hepner, Johan Clayson, Tyler Long, Joe Gasiga, Greg Downing, Tim Rosensky, Christopher Wolf, Kat Esman, Cassandra Newman, Timothy Green, Matthew A. Siebert, Joseph Gluck, Nick Ord, Duran Barnett, Tom Painter, Finbar Nicole, Jameis Enright, Mark Lux, Dan Mayer, Joe Crow. Chris Finnick, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Aaron Lecluse, Kieran Dashler, and Lorraine Chisham. Just before we go, it is worth pointing out that the first book in Phase 2 of New Century has just been released, Uncivil Outlaw. And this is the first one that I am doing without the audio adaptation coming first. So that's Uncivil Outlaw, now available on Amazon, via the Kindle store, or a beautiful paperback edition. And this one is a gripping, page-turning political thriller, but it's also filled with mayhem, action, and humor. So if you've read or listened up to Steamheart, this book is your next port of call. And if you've already read it, Uncivil Outlaw could do with a few reviews.